This is the Blackout Podcast. Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people that do amazing things. And today I have Andrea Lossing. Yep. Yeah, got it right. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Awesome, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell me a bit more about yourself. Oh, all of it? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my name is Andrea. I live here in Halifax. And uh, I think we've discussed a bit of my work. So my work is as a life coach and more recently an EFT practitioner. EFT being? Being emotional freedom techniques. So mm. it's a, a type of energy healing, but it also uses acupressure points. So it's a little bit of anchored in what we already know and then a little bit of other stuff. Mm. Kind of a bit of talk therapy-ish too. Yeah, it's a really cool new tool I'm using. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what I do there. Mm. <laughs> How did you get into the practice? Well... I guess, I mean, it starts back with life coaching mm. and I had been working at a job that was great, but I just kind of wanted to keep, I just always want to be expanding and kind of more creative and learning new things and kind of growing in different ways. And I'd been in that job for 10 years. So, uh, before I left, I was, uh, I did my life coaching training mm. just as something that I could learn from and maybe offer in some capacity at some point in the mm. future. And then, yeah, things just kind of came together in a weird way that our funding got transferred to another job. So we got laid off and I took that as an awesome opportunity to um, just to take advantage of that and, and get some support with starting my own business. So then I started doing life coaching. Um, I started that helping women overcome binge eating and overeating. Mm. And I guess I found, you know, being a bit more academic academically inclined and minded. I was doing like a lot of research and really understanding the brain and reward and modern food and, you know, a lot of, uh, just reading and doing a lot of that stuff. So I'd approach what people are struggling with from this more rational place. Mm. Like you have to make sure you're eating enough because otherwise your brain is going to send signals like survival instinct signals to eat more and, but I realized a lot of people were actually struggling with emotional eating, which really didn't line up with that. And it is what it says. It's like emotional eating. But I didn't have the tools at that point beyond coaching mm. to really help people through their emotions. Mm. And I think a lot of times it it's simply taking time to, you know, understand what you're experiencing, what the emotions are, even if you don't know what to do with them, just, mm -hmm. just saying them, just talking about them and acknowledging them and saying like, and that's what I'm dealing with right now. And that's the whole premise of tapping is, is just giving you a way to talk about them, label them, and then adding this acupressure tapping points that actually calms the stress response in the brain, mm -hmm. the amygdala, and kind of rewires the brain, what used to be a stressful situation and a stressful response would now be one that might not elicit any fight or flight or stress response mm, yeah. to the emotion so and <laughs> it's kind what, of complicated what, there. why were you pulled to this aspect of life coaching because usually when you hear life coaching is more like business type yeah, thing yeah so originally to binging and overeating yeah um 
Well, in the business, like you're talking about with, you know, you hear a lot about starting a business and then most life coaching support for a business out there is saying, choose a niche. Like you've got to choose something. And I just kept on going over that and just like, I don't know, I want to help women with fulfillment and kind of break through what's holding them back, which I'm kind of working on now. But before when I first started, that didn't seem like enough of a niche. Mm. And so I just kind of thought back to my own life and binge eating and just struggling with food with something back in like the late nine, the late 1990s, I guess, early mm. 2000s um, during university that I was struggling with. And I could really relate to needing help, looking for help, not being able to find what I needed and having to just continue to struggle. And it took me two years to recover when I decided like that that was enough. Mm. And so it was kind of a easy leap to just think, well, if I could if I could be that person for someone that that I needed back when I was trying to recover, then Mm. that would be awesome. So I use my own experience and I use coaching tools. And then, like I said, I just use a lot of the research I did, um, which was quite extensive and mm. really fascinating. Mm. Um, I learned a lot through that and helped a lot of people. But like I said, then there is always this kind of emotional component that I needed mm. to learn how to navigate people through. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's the one thing that matters to me. Like, um, uh, I, I find most of the stories I tell bring up, uh, things about emotion. And, mm-hmm. and I think as human beings, we are emotionally motivated to do pretty much everything we do. Yeah. And I think dealing with emotions, positive, negative, whatever kind of emotion is, is a powerful thing to do, but it's also a lot of responsibility to, do you, do you find yourself dealing with that? Well, I don't put all the responsibility on me because I'm not, I'm not trying to influence anyone's emotions. Mm. I'm not even trying to say that they have to change that or I don't really take any of that responsibility. I just know that And again, this is kind of coming from this more scientific, but the amygdala in our brain also is what houses our emotional memories. So, so, you know, responses to events that created some emotion can, they get decoded there and kind of stored. And so when what you're saying is correct. Like everything we do is basically as a response to little things we've learned you know, on our travels and when we were kids a lot that elicited emotional response that got kind of decoded as like, well, that is really important because I got scared Mm. or I felt (laughs) like um, something was unjust there and, you know, there's a memory. So it's it's helping people not necessarily, um, you know, really have their own tools or uh, or kind of what's the word, like, release all their emotions, but Mm. the ones that are in the background running the show again and again and again because of one thing that happened in childhood or one memory that was stored with an emotion that makes them nervous to, you know, speak in front of someone or makes them um, have lost their confidence or whatever it is, Mm. um, that's where it's nice to... You can help just release one or two emotions that might have been really running the whole thing Mm. and
and then because you know we're obviously still going to have a range of emotions and and continue having to navigate our own emotions mm-hmm. but often if we can some of those those emotions that we don't even know are there like guilt over something that happened 10 years ago might still be there making someone stressed about something related or not like it is complex and interesting but um yeah but then kind of to turn back to your question i don't necessarily take responsibility for that because also it's there's a thought process or a talk process to it so it's like if that just comes up for them all of a sudden this guilt Mm. then it just came up and you have to kind of take that as a sign like they were ready to talk about that or that was supposed to come up in that way and and there it did and we can just talk about that and get them down to a place where it's not emotional it's more just a memory Mm, mm, mm. wow that's about helpful to know because i was thinking oh man don't you carry all these things but i mean explaining that makes a lot of makes a lot of sense to me um and then are you from um nova scotia originally i grew up in ontario oh and why why did you move when did you move um i came out here for uh university as a last minute (laughs) <laughs> like and and actually that's where all the food stuff started because i i ended up going to changing high schools four times because we moved in the middle of high school uh in halfway through grade 10 and anyway and so from my last year of high school i was like i'm so done here it was all a bunch of things lined up where i kind of left early and then i was going to come back and finish up one mm. one course that i needed um and so at that time i went to visit my sister who was at acadia and then I went back and finished high school on time. Um, and I just didn't feel like school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. It just didn't feel like a, for me, it wasn't a natural evolution of finishing high school. Then you go to university. Mm. Um, so I just gave myself space. But at the last minute, I was like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. So then I just came out to Acadia. And what did you study there? Uh, sociology and women's studies. Why did you decide to choose that? Well, I, like I said, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. (laughs) I just chose a school, chose something to major in, (laughs) chose something to minor in. Um, yeah, it's, I would have done it differently, you know, I think at this point, but, Mm. uh, yeah, like I said, I was coming up kind of some more challenging high school years and university was just a really nice way to regroup and just you know mature and mm. be at school and you know i got a degree so yeah <laughs> but it didn't <laughs> nothing specific oh okay okay and yeah. how was it like in acadia for you um yeah that was a really nice experience but you know it, really it was kind of maybe uh like the pendulum swinging this way and then that way and i feel like um because then i was still struggling with food at that point mm. and Um, and then after I traveled a little bit and I think when I finally settled in Halifax, uh, my parents had moved out here from Ontario and now my sister and my other sister and like, we only have sisters. We have two, I have two sisters and a brother. Oh, okay. okay. So the only one who's still in Ontario is my brother. But, uh, yeah, I think in about, I don't know, 2006, maybe I moved to Halifax and then I feel like that's where kind of my more stable, mature life started. Mm. Um, yeah. And that was just 
yeah, before that, I think was all ups and downs and here and there and not really knowing what to do or where to go or kind of too many choices, but also feeling limited and all this kind of weird early twenties. And what helped you through the, uh, food, uh, through the eating issues? What helped me? Yeah. Um, I think just deciding that there was something going on that I wanted to figure out. Because I think that that's almost what I was saying before about the emotional stuff. I think a lot of people just go around with things that are there that they never pick up and look at and say, I think I should do something with this piece. Mm. And I feel like even though the eating struggle was such a huge thing in my life, I never really picked it up and said, like, mm, I think I should maybe figure this out. I just kind of was like, oh, I'm, I'm living through this. I'm trying to navigate this. And so I think at that time, I was just ready to be like, ah, oh, this is something I need to do. And so then I was like, hey, family, I want to deal with this, like something's going on. And so, you know, just sharing, reaching out for help where I could, um, trying to get professional help, which didn't really help. And then just time, just knowing that I had a goal mm. and... I wasn't in a rush because I didn't really know how to navigate it perfectly. But yeah, I would say about two years. And ultimately, I was traveling. I had taught in Korea and then I was traveling oh, with, wow. um, yeah, after university. And then I was traveling with a guy that uh, for three months we traveled through Asia and he just ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner and like started with a big breakfast and ate whatever. And I kind of got to just model the way he ate. Like, oh, it's a breakfast time. We just eat a big breakfast and it's lunch. We eat a big lunch and we go get a Coke sometimes. And sometimes like it was just so natural. Um, and I had always been overthinking it. So I think just modeling his eating style and, um, you know, being in another country where we're going to have like rice and eggs for breakfast or a big baguette with, you know, just kind of not cereal and, uh, it just kind of reset the way I looked at food. And also it gave me that, um, you know, more, more physiological foundation to not be looking for food elsewhere because I was nourishing my body in a way that maybe I hadn't been before. Mm. So then it just kind of was able to resolve itself. And also I was maturing and I was, traveling and just becoming more confident and who I was and yeah it was just a really good coincidence and that was kind of like the end of this this two-year struggle that I had been on to resolve mm. struggling with food um how was it in Korea South Korea right yeah South Korea <laughs> okay yeah um well my experience is just one so for me it was uh again it was challenging I think there's a lot of times in my life I've been challenged like I, I, it was really interesting and fascinating. I loved when I was out there being a tourist, but then the end you have a job and it's to teach little kids English who mm. are at school all day and then coming to your English classes, you know, you know, in the after school times, you've got these split shifts and our school, they had told us we're going to be in Seoul but we are really quite far out. So we're really isolated. Oh, wow. So it's all these. And then, and then there's just cultural things where we expect to maybe get paid on time or to be like told the truth or to not 
be taken around in all these circles. And <laughs> so there, it was, it was a, a really good experience, but it was challenging at the time. I remember oh, feeling okay. really frustrated yeah. and, and then you get there and then it's like, you meet people that you went to university with because they're out there teaching. And so oh. then it's just a big, like the same thing, the same party scene. Um, and I was kind of over that by the time I went there, I kind of wanted to not party mm. to just do, you know, in my mind, it was all just as like nice calm things, but it ended up being that that's the scene to oh. cope. It's like the way people cope. And then you said you traveled through Asia. Which other places did you see? Um, we went to, uh, China for a month, which is hmm. amazing. Really great because it's not. How was that? It wasn't. It was awesome. It like, was the did best. you just? Uh, how many city? Did you go to different cities in China? Um, yeah, gosh, I wouldn't remember them now, but um, yeah, I just flew into Shanghai, and then from there it was like buses and trains, mm. and we went to um, yeah, all kinds of places. Did you go to the wall? To the wall? No, that's uh, that was a bit north, oh, like okay. closer to Beijing, and um, Shanghai is kind of moving like south and westward so that's we kind of went west and and um then south to uh laos and cambodia and vietnam oh wow and it was awesome did you fly to those countries or bus no it was all bus oh and, man um like it was super long rides right yeah there was some <gasps> overnight rides oh, and some rides where you'd literally see like a bus down the cliff what? and then you'd be there it's it, you know <laughs> you can always just be thankful you survived basically oh no yeah it's I, but it, you know it, it's good to do that stuff when you're young because <laughs> <laughs> now i would overthink that a little bit <laughs> yeah and then when did you move back uh to canada um yeah so i think that was so i graduated in 2004 five it must have been 2006 mm. Um, I tried Korea one more time because I just, you know, the problem also with traveling is it's like the world is my oyster, but then you're limited by just kind of, you don't really know what you want. I think if you've been in this, that's how I felt at least like being in this travel circuit and teaching and I could do anything and I could go anywhere. Um, but the question is like, well, what am I really looking for? Mm. So I didn't know at that point where I was at. So I thought maybe Korea was the answer again. So this time I went um, to a small island on the south called Jeju. It's a beautiful like volcanic island. But I only stayed for two months. I was like, um, I was am it a here. better experience this time? <laughs> um, it was a little better, but I went by myself. Oh, and then okay. I was, yeah, it wasn't really. <laughs> no, I came back, yeah. I went. And then did you get straight into walking right away when you came back? Um Gosh, after that, to be honest, I went to Scotland from there thinking oh, I would just that? stay. Well, I only, I, all my ideas was like, I'll just stay and settle in Scotland. I don't know why I just felt like I had to settle somewhere that wasn't home. Mm. But um, no, it didn't, that didn't work out for very long. I had a friend there and it was good, but I was like, I think I just have to go home. Um, but it was wonderful there. It was, it's lovely. I'd love to go back and see more. Mm. But um, yeah, then. Then I got back home and then a friend who had also recently come home from Korea was like, I'm going to do this teaching English certification here that's legit. And so I did it with her. And then that's the job I had for 10 years. Oh, it was okay. um, like a federal um, 
a federally funded program. It's all across Canada to teach our newcomers, our immigrants and refugees English. Mm. So yeah, for 10 years I was working with lots of amazing people from countries I had never even heard of before. Um, more recently, like the Syria um, influx and it was awesome. It was such a great experience because, you know, then you really know some of those people and you just don't, you just see everyone so much more like you're not judging people or thinking that you don't know about their culture. It's like, I do know about quite a few new cultures mm. that I wouldn't have known of otherwise. And yeah, everyone's so lovely. So did it, did any of the things you, you experienced while traveling help in this new career, this new job you are doing? I think it just kind of, um, help people trust me more maybe mm. like oh yeah i've been to your country <laughs> like would be amazing mm. um but otherwise just like that i taught there or i'd been there or um that i made a friend there while i was traveling or i think just that comfort that i wasn't i think for my students that mm. um yeah maybe that i just had some experience and i wasn't just looking at the world through one tiny view But, um, yeah, I think that helped in oh, that way. Okay. Uh, and then starting a business, how was the experience of going from kind of like something stable to doing uh, it yourself? That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Like, to be honest, it's really tough. There's mm. some times where my, my commitment and belief are super high that things flow so easily. Mm. And then maybe you don't get a client for a month or, you know, there's something there or like something you were really planning on just kind of fell through or, mm. and just like that, you can, at least this, again, all my experience, I can just be like, what am I doing? How am I supposed to, you mm. know, I'll just, my belief will somehow just plummet. And then after a few days, it'll come back up. But I really do notice this huge roller coaster and mm. it is all because of the stability or the lack of stability mm -mm. and you keep on having to uh turn to yourself to be the one to be like you can do it like keep going <laughs> you know when you're working by yourself it's really you only have yourself you can hopefully have some supportive people around you but mm. it's you who has to believe in it mm -hmm. and if that at all wavers then you can get into a bit of a space where then energetically, you're just not doing the things that you need to do. You're not sending out the right, you know, energy for people or maybe not taking people up on their requests mm. because you're kind of in a funk or something like that. So I find that challenging. And <clears throat> when you get in a funk, like you said, how do you handle that while, you know, you're kind of running your business? Yeah. Well, it's always good to just get back to the work. So like whenever I'm with clients, I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I love this. I don't want to be doing anything else. Mm. Um, so that's always helpful. And uh, but it's the in that downtime, in the time where it's like I really put this time aside for doing some marketing or mm. researching that that piece that I don't know about yet that I really have to, you know, that's like staring at me like a big wall in mm. front of me. Like I just have to get over this. Mm. Um, that's the times that are, are hard to, to know what to do. And I find just time just being compassionate and being like, well, maybe it's not, you know, 
maybe I just need to wait a couple days. Mm. And sometimes it will happen like that where literally I wake up and I'm just like, this is, this is so going to work. Like <laughs> I just feel good. I feel really committed. I, my belief is really high again and I, I don't see a way that it wouldn't work. Mm. Mm. And so it kind of, I just let myself have those times and normally wake up one day and it's all good again. Uh, yeah. So. I know that feeling. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. You know, you have, you have days where you're all, upset to go but then that's one thing and uh, that's kind of like how we clients and stuff but how do you handle being the person that's pretty much you're the business and on days when you are physically unable to see a sick or mm -hmm. for whatever reason how do you navigate that well it's really great because my clients are all just people so it's not corporate it's not you know it's not these crazy deadlines that someone is expecting something huge like so everybody that i work with is just a person who's very understanding mm. um i think there was just one day so far where I've, I've really had to be like i'm sorry i'll need to reschedule our call and everyone's that just works you mm. know it's like okay tomorrow sure or whatever <laughs> it is right yeah. so um in terms of that that the one-on-one -on -one time with my clients mm. that's easy to do um yeah, I would just say it's more like the background work that actually needs my energy because it's not being produced naturally by by working and talking with someone, mm. right? It's like it's got to be produced from within. Being alone in my house, you know, like work from home. Mm. Yeah, so that those are the times. And I got to ask this one, like, you know, you're doing what you love, you're doing what you enjoy and stuff, but how about the admin stuff for you? Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. It sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. No, it's awful. Um, I mean, I'm kind of a, a numbers person anyway, so oh, I like to be organized okay. and I like numbers, mm. but I didn't like taxes this year. And it really <laughs> made me think that I just need to get some support with some of these things. Mm. Um, but I find it all really tough because there's part of me that's always been someone that wants to just do it all. Mm. Like I'm capable of all of it. Why can't I just learn all of it and do all of it? But that's, it's just not working out well that way because there's certain things that are easy and you like doing them. But then when you realize that the things like the admin work that you don't like doing just doesn't get done or, mm. you know, even though I can do it, does that mean I should do it? Like maybe I should get someone else to help me. I'm finding that in general with marketing. Like I thought I would love marketing um, because I'm creative and I have ideas and stuff. But in the end, like I just don't get some of the specific marketing platforms mm. and and what I should be looking for in like the return of marketing and, you know, besides new clients. But um, I find that piece challenging, mm. like beyond just the talking with people and you know but kind of like the online marketing yeah and, and and well before i get to the online thing um how do you handle getting to a point where you know okay maybe i'm hand, i need to hand this over to someone especially being someone that just feels like i can do it yeah. i can learn it well i haven't got there yet <laughs> <laughs> i still feel like there's a lot that i should just learn more about mm. um but I think it's coming soon. Somehow, I think with the the couple of years that have gone by, it's like maybe the way I designed it isn't 
isn't the best, mm. like maybe it is better to get some help. Maybe it's not great to be like, I can do everything myself. Like I think, <laughs> I think it actually slows me down a lot. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of starting to change my mind on that perspective, mm. even though that's just what I came into it with. And that's just kind of me. Yeah. So, but I'm seeing that it's not the, not the best. Yeah. Um, and then when we started, so you we're talking about the EFC thing. Um, so I remember reaching out to you and talking about tapping. Yes. And, oh God, what's his name? Uh, Gary Craig. Gary Craig. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm just going to play this little clip from Gary and then we'll talk about it. Okay. EFT stands for emotional freedom techniques. And it's an emotional version of acupuncture except we don't use needles. Instead, we address emotional issues. The emotional contributor to disease and ailments and physical things is far greater than the emphasis that's been given to it to date. All of us know intuitively that if we're carrying around angers and griefs and guilts and traumas, it shows up physically. If somebody is really angry, their stomach is tight, maybe the veins down out on their neck, their blood pressure goes up, emotions cause physical things. Well, you keep that body a long period of time. Now you're looking at diseases. So Gary Craig, I keep forgetting his name because he has two first <laughs> names. Um, how did you find out about tapping in, in the first place? Uh, I think tapping is one of those things if you're in the kind of personal growth, like kind of seeking, I think it just makes its way, way in there somehow. Mm. Um I don't know how I first heard about it, but somehow it started to become a little bit familiar mm. that there is this this tool, this modality where you are literally just tapping on parts of your face and your hand and stuff. Um, and it's kind of weird to look at. So I think once you see it once, you're like, oh, I recognize that. I've seen that before. And then it, it was more recently... Um, I was interested because I'd seen it so much and it was in a... a uh, um, a documentary on Netflix called Heal. Mm. And then there's someone locally who does it, um, Al Rohde. And I just went to one of his meetups, his tapping meetups. And he took me, you know, as he does with everyone, like, what do you want to talk about? Or do you have anything? And I just thought of something that had been on my mind re recently. And yeah, he just took me through like a couple tapping rounds. And I just found it so crazy because before I knew I was like crying I didn't even know why it was just kind of the language he was using and having me repeat while I tapped on these points and oh you were doing it on yourself yeah so so someone the practitioner will just model what to do oh, oh and oh, oh, also oh. they'll model the language so what they want you to say mm. and yeah before I knew it I was just kind of had released some emotion and mm. I'm I'm someone who uh not Anyway, you know, there's a range there, but I don't cry easily. And I don't, I guess you would also say that I don't have that kind of release of emotion, especially in a public thing. Mm. Like that's, that seemed really oh, it strange. Wasn't one -on -one. It was no, it was a meetup group. group. So there was maybe only five or six of us there, mm. but you know, just having that, uh, just being taken there so quickly to this place where I was able to, um, really feel like it touched on something that was really important to me and even maybe from my past a little bit mm. seemed a little bit like kind of profound to me mm. like wow what was that how mm. did that happen and why do I feel so good now so I went to one more and 
um, a similar thing happened. And uh, that day I didn't have so much. So I just watched um, him work with a bunch of other people there. And just the transformations that some people are having with physical ailments in the moment. Um, one woman was suffering from a, a post-traumatic head injury and she was always feeling a lot of pain in her head. And, you know, within a, a short time that was gone for her, you know, maybe momentarily or, you know, who long, who knows. Mm. Tapping has this notion of like being a one minute wonder for some, especially for pain and ailments and stuff like that. But really tapping, especially for emotional things or symptoms caused by emotional stuff can take, you know, lots and lots of sessions. Yep. It's still, um, you know, a kind of therapy that can take a long time. But when you see people resolving things in a couple minutes or having an emotional release in a couple minutes, mm. it just turned me on to it. So then there is a world tapping summit that was online. And I listened to that like for seven days in a row and multiple speakers and lots of research and, um, yeah, lots of stuff that just took me a little bit deeper into it. Mm. Um, I got really excited. And so then I decided to just do a certification, mm. which as Gary Craig is the founder, but he's given all like everything's on his website for free. You can, you know, it's, it's quite dated, so it's a little bit hard to navigate, but you can learn all about tapping, how to do it. He'll send you over to videos to watch your demonstrations. Mm. Um, but I did my certification through someone else. Um, but it's, it's one of these kind of, it's out there. There's lots of ways that you can get certified. Um, but it all comes back to the work of Gary Craig. Mm. So, and how long did he take you to get the certification? Well, it all depends on how quickly you can. Oh, it's uh, all up to the person pretty much. Yeah. And how quickly you can find people to practice tapping on, which is, I would say the roadblock for a lot of people. It's like, okay. So, so you do the course and then you're kind of certified based on number of hours. Like, like kind of, it's, it's more just like you learn, you do some practice with other people in the course and you're expected to do some practice with people outside the course. And then it's kind of, um, you know, one of the last assignments is like share in depth, about five experiences, you know, five new full session experiences. So it's just kind of gathering your organizing yourself. Mm. Um, but the actual learning of tapping doesn't take long. People can, people do, um, for example, Al Rodi, I know he used to be doing, like a level one certification, which is just tapping on yourself in mm. a full day, like in an eight hour day. Oh. And it takes less than that. Like it, but to learn all the different techniques. Um, How yeah, many levels of the, there's like level one, two, three, and then you can be a master. Oh, okay. So, and are I'm you, just so at the beginning, like, are you going to go that far? Or? Well, I, I mean, it really is very interesting to me. Mm. And that's coming from someone who is more academically inclined. Mm. And so when I'm also reading research about it, it just continues to be like, this is some sort of like weird, magical healing over here, but it's kind of rooted in something we get. Like I get that it's my amygdala that's, you know, holding on to a stress response to, you know, the way someone just said something to me and I'm triggered. Mm. Like, so what's with that, you know, and how is that impacting me? Like that that's all happening on an energetic level, but with my brain. Mm. So there's parts of it that I can really understand in science, but then other parts of it that I, that no one really gets, like, how does it work that, you know, you're tapping on these points that are in the kind of Chinese 
way the the meridians, the energy systems in your body, the lines, um, and they are supposed to send messages back and release block emotion, but that's kind of where there's this element of just magic. Like, I don't really get how <laughs> you can have a pounding headache. I worked with a client the other, um, a few weeks back and she had locked jaw, like, um, her jaw, she was so stressed that her jaw had just kind of seized mm. and she couldn't chew and she couldn't eat. And, you know, everything was just like so gentle. And just within like 45 minutes, she was like, I'm, I'm good. I don't know. I don't feel that pain anymore. Yeah. Okay. And you like test it out and I don't get it, but <laughs> it's so fascinating to me that it actually works. Wow. It's also really the best tool that's out there now for helping people with PTSD. Mm. Um, I was going to ask that, but yeah. Yeah. So like beyond traditional therapy and talk therapy, mm. um, it's similar and it's not like it's happening in one session, but maybe I forget the numbers, but something like six sessions versus, you know, 10 sessions where people are getting results. But the thing also with this is often if you can release your emotional connection, you know, negative emotional connection to something from the past, like PTSD, like a traumatic memory, mm. if you can release that with tapping, you're, you're done. Like it doesn't, if, if you really have all the different aspects of that scenario released, mm. then it doesn't come back. Like you're just, it's just, you're just freed from that. Oh. Um, I haven't done any tapping on my own with people with PTSD, but it's something that that's in the literature. Like mm. they've done a lot of studying with PTSD with tapping. And do you, so now what, what, like with the practice, do you find that clients that you worked with, with binge eating, um, do they use tapping now? Yeah. It's been a bit of a, a gentle process. Cause I don't want to, because I remember it was weird for me when I first heard about it. So uh, I don't want to be like, yeah, I've like, got this oh, thing. Yeah. Mm, and they're like, what? Mm. I signed up for you for something <laughs> different, right? Um, mm. But it's been a good progression. So I've got some people who are working with me more long term. And and then it's easy for me to say, like, well, I'm working with this new tool. Do you want to do that in our next session? Yeah, gotcha, and so they'll just gotcha, say yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then people that are just signing on... Um, I'm understanding that some people need a little of this and some people need a little of that. Mm. Um, so about one client now where we're basically only doing tapping and she's on board cause she uh. gets it cause it's all emotional for her. Mm. So, and so that's going well. And I think that's going to be uh, until I really know what's going on and what I'm landing with. Like you said, like, am I going to go all the way up there with EFT? And until I know, um, just get more experience, I guess. Mm. I'll I'll keep on seeing what it seems like each person needs, but it could be in the end that I'm all EFT mm. and and very diversified in who needs help with what, <laughs> right? Because okay. it, it really is um, something that you can use on many many different things, yeah. including this, you know, physical symptoms and emotional stuff or something that seems like it's not related at all mm. um but has some component okay um okay yeah i'm gonna end it with this though i know you're going through rebranding you brought eft tapping into this and and then uh you actually you know we've talked about pretty much your journey to this point right uh Ending it with this question, where are you taking all you've brought, got, like where you are with all the knowledge of how, where are you taking it to? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, okay, so totally honest. I'm not feeling connected with 
the binge eating and emotional eating personally. Mm. And I did have to re like dig that up from my past in order to provide it for people. So I'm just, because it was so far in my past and it is so resolved, um, I'm feeling a bit stuck in that. Like I don't, it's not really what I relate to now. Mm. So I'm expanding. So I think I'll probably end up moving away from food completely in the future. Mm. And yeah, I guess ultimately where I stand now, I'm finding such amazing power within EFT, Mm. the tapping that I guess it is the truth that I would say ultimately I would be all EFT and be very diversified. Just have not necessarily even have some specific specialties, but just let people know where it helps and um, they could come. I almost imagine that like you would just go see a therapist, regardless of what was going on. You yeah. would know they're a therapist and yeah, yeah. you would just go to them. Yeah. Um, I guess that would be the dream with EFT, that people get familiar with it and that would be part of the marketing, of course, and mm. uh, being out there in public and showing people what it is and that people would come to me with a bunch of different things and then I can continue expanding and learning and, you know, having that, uh, not so boxed in like mm. it was with food. Thank you very much, Andrea. Yeah, uh, before you. you go, what's your website again? Just andrealessing.com. Awesome. Thank yeah. you very much. All right. Thanks so much for having me. This is the Blackout Podcast. listening.